welcome to Backlog Dialogues, a podcast where we dig you out of your backlog before it buries you. I'm John, and joining me is the Aerith and Yuffie to my Leon. Squall, damn it. Uh, <laughs> he's Leon in Kingdom Hearts, and that's what I'm sticking with. Fine, I'm Jared. And I'm Matt. I'm pretty sure Squall, uh, Squall's last name is Leon Hart anyway, so yeah, well, he's just trying to, trying to change the emphasis on his name, right? I mean, hell, even, uh, what is it, Aerith calls him Squall, and he's just like, no, call me Leon. And I, in case you can't tell, today we're going to be talking about the first bit of story right after you get off Destiny Islands in Kingdom Hearts today. We're going to be talking about Traverse Town, which is the first place we arrive after Sora's whole world goes to hell or wherever it goes when the world goes to darkness. We don't no, know it turns, it turns into a crumbling rock and then just gets sort of absorbed by darkness vaguely. And then a star goes out, yep. which is the first thing we see is Donald and Goofy reacting to that happening in yep. in this new town. Which I guess sort of implies that each world really is another world out in space. It seems to be using kind of a very similar justification for magic travel between worlds that say like, you know, the Dungeons and Dragons Spelljammer type setting mm-hmm. uses where they're each a different kind of uh, aspect of the of the material plane, almost. It's not totally clear, though, if they are just like actually planets or if something else is going on. But darkness is separating everything. Not clear if Donald and Goofy really get it, because while Donald points it out, he's more like, look at that, rather than shocked well, or upset. Well, <laughs> that's what's supposed to be like. I mean, I guess that's dramatic irony. Like, even if the characters don't understand it, we, the reader, you probably do, or at least we've made enough of a connection to be like, uh-oh. <laughs> it seems bad, even if you don't know all the details. Right. I mean, we don't know the full cosmology yet. All we know is that there's Disney characters walking around in this uh, quaint little fantasy town. I would say Fantasy Town is just about right for what we see. Traverse Town is the name of this location. It's kind of just very much buildings lined up next to each other for all the walls, as well as on several areas, like up steps. And they definitely have a a aesthetic I would compare to stuff like FF6 or FF7's more less urban location. I would describe the music as cozy. I think the best way I have to describe it is this is what would happen if Disney was commissioned to make a Final Fantasy world at a uh, one of their theme parks. There was actually a place in Japan I went that had an underground mall that very much gave me Twilight Town vibes. Traverse Town? Or, sorry, Traverse Town vibes, yes. Twilight Town is another game. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, at least the name very much similar. gave me t- Traverse Town vibes, and mm-hmm. it was underground, and then at night you would go through and it would be kind of creepy because everything was really shut down, you know, all mm. the it was like one of those liminal space type things. Was it like the shadows would wake up and attack you there? It didn't what feel necessarily like alleys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it didn't feel quite like that, but it felt weird because, you know, all, it was it it was the main bus station we were using too. Mm. Uh, in addition to a big, you know, underground mall. Cool. So you know, you'd go through it and it's really busy at one time and that's really, really not busy at the other, like almost abandoned. And so you'd be like one of the only people walking through it and it would feel not necessarily like it was dangerous, but it would feel you, you'd feel this palpable abandonedness, you know? Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> I mean, let's I mean, let's come back to that because in Traverse Town, they said you said liminal space. My understanding usually involves like like a transitory element. And Traverse Town, well, just as the name applies, it is a location where things travel through. Mm-hmm. It is sort of like a crossroads world where it's not a place where anyone like is from, but it's where a place a place where a lot of people end up living. Do as we get that bit, explanation oh. here in this game? I don't think we get that explanation in any game, but that's what it feels like Traverse Town is, wouldn't you say? I well, feel like when we go forward a bit, character describes a place where things wash up almost. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure sure that Traverse Town is at some point in the series, but not necessarily right away, is identified as, as a place where if something goes wrong with your world, but you're too strong to die from just, you know, your world blowing up or whatever, mm. you end up in Traverse Town. It's sort of the quaint little cozy town of Lost Souls. <laughs> Pretty much. I feel like this will get into how basically the cosmology of this universe expands as games go on. So kind of like right now, that's probably as much an explanation we get. But as they start adding the things, then it will probably it'll become more clear. Mm-hmm. 
Right now, all we have is a few alleys in a tiny little town, and in one of those alleys, there's a protagonist. And he's found by and he's found by a big yellow half anthropomorphized dog, but not the one that can talk. I mean, you look at Pluto; that looks kind of like a person standing up, like on hands, like it's a dog completely. I don't know. Pluto always felt more dog-like than Goofy to me. But well, he's more like so. But you ever this kind of makes you think of those memes like ten percent cat, fifty percent cat. Pluto is like ninety percent dog. Yeah, Pluto is one of the, is a character in Kingdom Hearts whose main role seems to be more or less always being in the right place at the right right time. Right now, well, Donald and Goofy they're there and they're just kind of talking vaguely about what they're there to do to find the key that the king told him to. Pluto goes off and finds himself a protagonist. This lying in an alley. Yep, and of course. You know, the entire per- reason Donald and Goofy were there is to find this guy, so... Well, no one no one knows that yet. Like, Sora doesn't even know why he's here. Uh, Honestly, no, right but now, I'm, things are really confused. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm just saying that, you know, he's the kid with the Keyblade, and, you know, their explicit goal is to find the person with the Keyblade. Isn't their goal just to find the Keyblade, actually? To find the key and follow the one who has it, I feel is how it's said. Okay, just a quick little rundown of what's in Traverse Town before we start uh, following the story along. We've got three big areas and a few side alleys. Is and like a, a cave. <laughs> like well, a lot of that we don't see right away. The areas are known as the districts. Like the first district, that's the district where you're not going to get killed. Mm-hmm. Well, aside from we like, also there's a battle in there right away, but. Not yet. Not yet, not yet. You're right. Uh, So District 1 is where a couple of shops are. You got the shop. You got the weapon shop that apparently that it looks like Sid from Final Fantasy 7 is running. He's he's lost his jacket, but he's kind of just there and is is, is, is like his work his white undershirt for work. And he's got his goggles on. I feel like the Sid has a lollipop or a toothpick. I think I think I think it was a toothpick. Yeah. Okay. At least it's better than turning uh, machine guns into super soakers. Yeah. Oh, we could talk yeah. about that at any time. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I think I might have been messing up this intended censorship with the unintended censorship of the One Piece Four Kids stuff. Yeah, just think about how Disney, you know, the ultimate in so-called family and kid material, is able to do simpler and less painful edits than a company that does this spend its whole time like acquiring Japanese animation for distribution. I think part of the thing is that Sid is also one of Tetsuya Nomura's characters, and so he's like, if he's told, make Sid a bit more kid-friendly, he's like, well, he's got to be chewing <laughs> something. Why not a toothpick? <laughs> when he gives him one of those big, like, I don't know what you call those stomach warmer pad things, like the belts. Harimaki, I, mean, I think they're called, right? Hmm, I, he's definitely got me stumped there, but it's, I don't think that was anything that was ever Let part of his design. He's just wearing this big padded belt. We That's rolled on the wheel of SIDS and got a seven, right? That's uh, the, the explanation. No, instead we'll get nine, there's a bug hopping around. <laughs> At the very least, I would say that six is not a particularly good candidate because nobody would recognize the weird guy with the 3D. Haramaki is what it's called. Okay, not Harimaki. <laughs> Harimaki is a kind of spring roll. <laughs> like it'll look like a banana. It'll look like a, ban- a banana costume if we had sixes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Sid has a Har- has a Haramaki in this version as well, which is an interesting style choice. I feel like he could have gotten away with his jean jacket. It would have been fine. This Sid is more of a weapon shop guy than a pilot, so I guess yeah. Yeah, he, he runs instead of Dream Jacket. He runs a weapon shop with some Moogles, because you have to have Moogles if Final Fantasy is related after, you know, so long. I mean, we don't yet know what the Moogles are there for. They don't have any purpose until we come back later in the game. And they seem to be telling you just as much like they say, we're not ready yet. Yep. The Moogles <laughs> say that the Synthesis shop isn't open yet, so... If you've played Final Fantasy IX, you're like, ooh, Synthesis. I hope that's important. Let's see. And then there's, there's all- the, the item shop, which Wait. I think literally just has a huge, colorful sign that says items on it. Yep. And inside is Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Now, let's take a moment for this. For those who don't know, Huey, Dewey, and Louie, they're Donald Duck's nephews. They might be well-known as well from DuckTales, where they're also Scrooge's nephews, but that means that's because he's their great-uncle. Donald is their direct uncle, and despite that, they never seem to register when they meet him. I, I think there's like a, a high, think- but... This is another they, world. They, I think they do comment hi, Uncle Donald. But, but this is another world. What are they doing in this other world? <laughs> they're running the item shop. They're enterprising <laughs> capitalists, yo. Was Travers Town like un- a place? They're running from Uncle Scrooge. <laughs> I mean, do people from Disney Castle, do they, do they commute to Travers Town to work? But I think we have established that uh, ducks are from Final Fantasy and therefore from Hollow Bastion. So, <laughs> but <laughs> that's getting ahead of ourselves by a significant amount. 
The funny thing is, that means you got two shops, one run by Final Fantasy character and Final Fantasy creatures, and one with the explicit Disney co- connection. It's yep. almost like they split it between the two. Yeah, that sounds about right. And you, like I said, they got to make sure, you know, you got your Disney element, you got your Ducks, and you got your Final Fantasy element, you got a Sid. Those are very distinct things, yep. despite whatever your theory might be, especially anyone who runs with Disney Afternoon knows that Ducks are very important in that. Yep. I'm not, I'm not saying that Ducks are always from Final Fantasy. I'm just saying that in the Kingdom Hearts universe, Ducks are from Final Fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> but let's go on to the next area, which is much more of a battle zone than First District. So Second District... Now, I want to point out this, like, I feel like this town, they're really casual about this. There's really no difference visually between the districts, and you can walk right into the second district. But the second we're in there, we see a guy get effing murdered. Yep. <laughs> it is, this town it may be quaint and cozy and very, and very lovely, but it also has a bunch of shadows that will jump out and attack you. And, and then your heart will explode out of your chest, and it will just fade into nothingness right in front of the spiky kid. And become one yourself, maybe. Do we see that happen? I think we just see like the, the random NPC that gets that really gets the screw job. I think he just vanishes. Yeah, I think he vanishes and turns into a heart, and then the heart must <coughs> take it. I don't uh, remember if they grab the heart, or the heart just sort of disappears into a shadow. I think that it, it I guess it disappears. It's unclear. <laughs> so what is what is in this aside from a bunch of shadows trying to attack you? Well, you got kind of this. This is a, the first town was kind of several buildings at multiple levels: the cafe, the shops, some roofs you can jump on if you're a good enough platformer. Second one, you got you got a sort of center low alley that walks down the, the straight of the path, as well as buildings ringing around it up on these stairs, including a hotel you can go into for no real reason. Though if you do, you'll see Donald and Goofy come out the other side. You're kind of we're kind of playing a little Scooby Doo, missing them by this much for now. <laughs> the Benny Hill theme and all that. <laughs> It's a little, too, it's a little too slow for either of those, but it's the best description I got. Mm-hmm. <coughs> There's also the Gizmo shop in this part of town is full of endless battles, <laughs> and a bunch of and a bunch of machines and levers you can't do anything with now because they require stuff you'll get later in the game. So Traverse mm-hmm. Town has got a lot of that. It's the first place you see these little Mickey Mouse marks of different colors on the ground and the walls and everything. You find out quickly those are Trinity marks, and they are a mechanic that will continue from this point on. But right now, think, you know, I don't think they're supposed to be Mickey Mouse uh, symbols. I think they're supposed to be like three little uh, hearts. Hmm. Uh, I always, I always saw like the the uh, hidden Mickey's. You know about the hidden Mickey's, right? I mean, the, there are lucky emblems in Kingdom Hearts three, but they are not the hidden Mickey's in this one. I think. But, but you are familiar with the concept, right? Yes, I am. I am very familiar with the concept. <laughs> So just like this, for anyone who's not familiar, well, in the Disney parks, there's a ridiculous number of hidden three-circle Mickey Mouse emblems, basically hiding in all sorts of backgrounds and fountains and just great ranges of objects. And they do it deliberately, and there are people like just dedicate to finding as many as they can while they're there. I guess I would blame the relatively low, the relatively uh, worse. Oh yeah, I probably thought resolution. A, I probably thought it was a, a Mickey symbol when I was a kid too. Honestly, if Traverse Town weren't just three pl- three places, it would be a chaos maze because everything looks the same. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, it's pretty easy to navigate once you understand it. There's entrances to the hotel, and inside the hotel, it's about the same distance to get uh, to the other door at the other end of the hotel. If you go out to, through the hotels, you can go out into the back room to a back alley that uh, you can go back into the second district from that back alley. And there's but, roughly two main exits from each of the districts that kind of go in a loop around each other. So yeah. once you once you the, get it down, it's not too bad. But you are right in that there are a lot of doors when it's your first time navigating the place. And I think you are intended to get lost your first time going through because that's kind of how you advance the plot anyway. And there's one other thing we didn't mention in the second zone of Traverse Town because we can't get to the third yet. And that's the doghouse. Not like uh, not like oh. a you know a little house that dog would be in, but a house that's full of dogs. Specifically, the Dalmatians from One Hundred and One Dalmatians. Yes, well, not, we only got two dogs like Pluto. Uh, the third no, these kind ones, of dog. These are actual dogs, not uh, Mickey cartoon pet dog. And of course, because they're because they're a convenient number, these Dalmatians are your first fetch quest. Well, it's so, a game long fetch quest. Yeah, uh, something that JRPGs just like to do is give you a thing to collect. A bunch of. Yeah, essentially was, these are mini medals. Yeah, the, these are, I was, that was exactly what I was about to go for. Those are like mini medals in Dragon Quest, or uh, is there any equivalent in Final Fantasy that you can think of? Hmm, well, there's things like the, the Chocographs, but that's more of a mini game. Yeah, the Chocographs is more of a mini game. The Koopo Nuts in Final Fantasy IX are a bit like that. Or the, no, or the a, Zodiac medals in nine. 
Yeah, the Zodiac medals and nine are another one like that. Basically, I said, yeah, we, it's quite clear that the games love that. And this one, we have something that, you know, has its own can. You got the two adult dogs, Pongo and Perdita, and their children, stepchildren, as everyone recalls, not all theirs. Yep. And since there's only two dogs and apparently their world exploded at some point as well. God knows what happened to their owners. Rest in peace. You have to go and find the pups everywhere. Luckily, the pups are in groups of three or this would be nightmarish. Yep. Uh, and also, so do we have Jiminy yet at this point in the story or does Jiminy uh, not join until a little later? No, he he says he's coming with them from the start with his journal. Like he comes with Donald and Goofy. Okay, I don't remember how I, directly I, he introduced Sora, himself to Sora. Does Sora have access to the journal at this point in the game? I'm going to say no because we, we actually okay. haven't even met Donald and Goofy yet. Okay. Like, like yeah. Sora hasn't. <laughs> yeah, so once Sora gets access to Jiminy's journal, you can also use the journal to track your progress, and it will tell you which specific Dalmatians are missing. They're grouped by world, so you can find, oh, if I am missing these Dalmatians in Wonderland, uh, I can go search around Wonderland to try and find them. It's And it's sort of like a prototype uh, like everything else in this game for what the journal will look like in later Kingdom Hearts games where the le- journal in the later Kingdom Hearts games is going to be a lot more like complete about what your completionist uh, writing is I said, but the main thing even with that the house there is we're kind of coming back to Traverse Town being empty mm-hmm. even though it's supposed to be a place everyone comes there's a few NPCs wandering around the outside of the first zone but other than that the town is very empty Mm-hmm. I, I remember when you guys described it as, as like having a Disney parks, uh, like having to walk away the park all to yourself. I don't remember who said it, though. That's just a good way to put it. I think a Disney park all to yourself. I'd like to take credit for it, but I don't know if I'm that poetic. <laughs> well, maybe it just came from nowhere. So after you get dragooned into finding a whole bunch of dogs. Is, and that you're probably getting sick of the relatively high spawn of shadows that keeps fighting you. Do, is the shadow still the only thing we're getting hit by at the moment? Uh, I think we're also fighting, what are the, call, are they called knights? Soldiers, I think they're called, actually. Which basically look like shadows' faces inside little bits of, like, put-together, half-done half armor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they have they have a big helmet that's open, showing what looks like, like very much the similar eyes inside. You're kind of wearing blue jumpsuit looks. They have gloves, they have gauntlets and and greaves mm-hmm. and boots, but they also have a big emblem on their front. Yep, shadows are your iconic uh, swarming enemy. Soldiers are your iconic like not quite tough enemy. Like if, if shadows are slimes, uh, what would what would soldiers? Goombas be? and Koopa Troopas. Yeah, that's probably a better ass- assessment. Like. They're still, like, not super threatening, but they look a bit more interesting than uh, the shadows do. They're, they're up to your height. They come, they kind of come popping in like goofy mm-hmm. clowns with their heads and arms shaking, but they mm-hmm. smack at you and they turn around. They might block your hits more. They have a more active uh, combat strategy, but they're also, like, still not that big of a threat. They're pretty easy to just burst down. Now, the yeah, big, the, fir- of- the first troublesome one won't come until we're a, bit, until we're a little further in Traverse Town and they yep. start spawning the third type. Is there anything else in the second area that we want to talk about, well, or do we want to uh, finally go run into Leon? Well, that's honestly it. The game doesn't give you anything else to do. You wander around and around. Eventually, you're going to be pushed back out into the first zone because you've gone everywhere else, at which point a cutscene starts up. And for those who remember FF8, which, you know, I know a lot of people kind of try to forget because I think they gave us some tough credit, here comes our, here comes our character, Squall. Yep. Um, and he's pretty well realized in Kingdom Hearts 1. His hair is a bit longer, but other than that, he looks very close to his Final Fantasy rendition. He's easily the tallest human we've seen so far. We, we didn't get a good look at Sid because he wasn't a cutscene, but yeah. Yeah, uh, he's got his gun blade. His gun blade is perfectly realized. He's got his, you know, his, ja- his little midriff jacket. Like, and he, he basically immediately tells you that you're screwed. Like, he just looks exactly like uh, Squall should look. Although, and for he, those, but he calls and for those. Yeah, and for those who were fans of the 90s, the original voice of Squall, or Leon, was David Boreanaz, who was Angel and Buffy and, well, Angel. So this <laughs> is several people that's still a very memorable voice. So I, I don't think he stays with it. No, I don't think he does. He uh, gets replaced by Doug Erholtz in later games. So basically, he tells you, he tells Sorak, he comes out to Sorak, is kind of in a very imposing fashion. He says that he's going to keep being chased because they're all after the key. Mm-hmm. And so Sora's clueless. Sora's still wandering around this town wondering why the heck he, it's not on a beach island anymore. Mm-hmm. And then this guy just jumps him. <laughs> yep. So you got to fight him. And he is not a really fair fight right now. No. You can beat him if you are pretty good at the game. So Probably you, not like, your first try. Not your first try. 
Uh, probably not on proud mode. Because he attacks with charges, blasts, he deflects your sword. I mean, he's definitely a much more advanced method of, of attack, and, yep. he, and he does real damage to you. And you don't have very good healing options right now. All you have are potions. Probably don't have too many. Your item capacity is limited. Uh, so that's one of the things that Kingdom Hearts does is one of the things you get when you level up is more item slots. Until Sora's higher level, he can only carry like three items, which is an interesting way of limiting the player's capabilities, I think, from a game design standpoint. But So basically, whether you beat him or not, the same thing's going to happen. Like, mm-hmm. if you get knocked out, you're knocked out. But if you beat him... Basically, sore class from unconsciousness, and Leon's still sitting. The idea is, well, you fought as far as you could. He's still too much for you. Mm-hmm. So what do you all think of that kind of cutscene where you've just fought a boss, and even if even if it's not a boss that you're meant to win against, but you do win, quote unquote, anyway, and then that does the cutscene that uh, says, oh my gosh, that was so hard anyway. Uh, what do you personally, think of that kind of thing? I, yeah, personally, I hate it. I really want... If they're going to do that, just go through the trouble of giving them some kind of hard and rage mechanic and, you know... Like Beatrix in Final Fantasy IX? Yeah. I mean, at the very least, at least it acknowledges a slight difference. The worst one's where the fight just ends and there's absolutely no change. At least here, it kind of, like, recognizes you did well, but no. Mm -hmm. And so that's a little better. I'm trying to think. I feel like there's been a couple times where actually beating that we're beating the so-called hopeless fight has a change, but I'm, it's, I'm I can't think of any. Just have Kuja cast Ultima. And <laughs> off. Yep. Yeah. Final Fantasy IX does it a bit better than other games, I think, just because of that thing where the bo- the boss decides, nope, fuck this fight, it's over. <laughs> I think they do it of like one or two times too many, perhaps, but yeah. So yeah, you after you fight him. Uh, it's time for out. a lot of cutscenes. <laughs> yeah, well, as you're lying, as the child that Leon horribly beat is lying broken as feet, who comes out to scold him for it but Yuffie? Everyone loves Yuffie, right? Yuffie's great. Her dialogue is poorly translated in Final Fantasy VII, but I think she's actually a pretty fun character. So. Well, I do I do understand the reason that people hate her side quest because in FF7, material is so bad and she robs you of it. Mm-hmm. And that can be a little unfun, but uh, yeah. And, and now, I don't know much about her dialogue problems. If you go watch Tim Ro- Rogers' Lost in Translation series about Final Fantasy VII, he makes a comment about I, he, that he's not going to even try to explain the differences between Japanese Yuffie and English Yuffie because... The translator just did not know what was going on at all with anything involving Yuffie because she was a hidden character and the translator didn't know how to find her. So he couldn't do any in-game editing about her. It sounds like her dialogue, the way dialogue files work, it was all over the place. So it was hard to, to, it's you know, a, to put it together. It's probably a spreadsheet type situation. There's a bunch of dialogue that you don't quite know where it goes and th- until you go and play it in the game. Hmm. Okay. Which, is just a problem of localization. Yeah, also the translator in that case didn't have very much support. He was just literally yeah. one guy working in a, you know, the probably the boiler room. Mm-hmm. And so, he, he had, what, like a month to do it? And it sounds like he did a heroic effort, but, oh, yeah. you know, Seven is a game that struggles despite it. I certainly can't blame the guy for doing his best. Like, I mean, like I said, Roger's series, I have seen, I didn't remember what he had to say about that one. But Final Rogers Fantasy Seven cool was very much the start of the process of making localization a more professional affair. I feel like Final Fantasy Seven's localization was not as professional as that Ted Woolsey's work on Final Fantasy VI or Chrono Trigger. But do you know what I happened with, with Eight and Nine? I think they were still sorting out all the issues in their new localization pipeline with eight and nine because they still have a lot of problems in those, but it, not nearly as many like not as much story falling through the cracks in eight and nine. But there is still a few problems. I mean, good Lord, I'm I just- find myself supporting remake of seven just because it's redoing the story with much better generalized uh, translation work. Mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to Yuffie in the next part just to see what they decide to do with her. Yeah, let's call it. Just- let's call it anticipation dread. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Matt. Uh, no, I was just saying that, you know, Final Fantasy seven, I believe, was the game that laid bare the fact that they cannot continue doing localization like this anymore. Probably. I wouldn't be shocked. Final Fantasy VII was easily their biggest game up to that point. Chrono Trigger was decently sized script, but it was also a short game. And Final Fantasy VI actually doesn't have that big of a script. <laughs> Final Fantasy VII, which has a lot more story, and a lot of that story really is kind of ambitious storytelling. Having a localization miss certain key things it just kind of hurts, especially all the side stuff. That's the stuff I'm mm-hmm. most excited to see revived in the next Final Fantasy VII Next so, well, and so, final Mixland. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Final Mix uh, adds stuff, adds story to the original Kingdom Hearts, which is mostly just sort of like make the adventures of what the hell Riku did. Yeah. It's trying to make what happens later in the story a bit more clear and also maybe tie it forward a bit to some future elements. I mean, to me, this was new because my, my replay in preparation for this was the first time I played anything Final Mix. I only played Kingdom Hearts when it first came out originally. So it, my memory was foggy. And I was asking John specifically, like, he's like, wait, is this new? And mm-hmm. the thing is, there's actually something that there is a key that shows in the first Kingdom Hearts, the scenes that are new, is that they're in, let's call it fully rendered voice actor mode, but there's no voices. <laughs> and what we have is we have Riku. He's waking up on a land we don't know yet, like floating rocks in the middle of what looks like a year waterfall or flowing mist. Now, this is something we'll learn later. And he's just wondering what the heck's going on. And I can't quite recall if anything else happens. It doesn't feel that important yet. It just feels like, oh, hey, Riku's also here and Riku's alive. Okay. <laughs> and then, so that scene ends. It's very short. I understand that in later games, the Final Mix editions aren't nearly as short. Nope. <laughs> we'll get there <laughs> and we go back to Donald Goofy wandering around what the heck's going on and then they are met by Aerith yay Aerith yeah, I, specifically Aerith <laughs> not that Aerith from the original Final Fantasy 7 no this is Aerith in her, orig- in her first real appearance <laughs> <laughs> not as great as Aerith in Final Fantasy 7 remake but Aerith is still cool here <laughs> but do you want to stop and go review a remake because I'll stop the car right here <laughs> Maybe. No, we don't need to. <laughs> I'm a recent convert to the uh, fandom of Aerith because of Final Fantasy VII Remake. <laughs> now we get a rush of cutscenes. Basically, the structure now is it's kind of a split structure. We're going to be jumping back and forth between Sora waking up on a bed in a room with two adults and a, and a girl talking to a dog and duck. Mm-hmm. And the whole and, point is they're both getting the same story at the same time. So when uh, we cut, they kind of have just they hit the same thing. I'm a fan of Archer, and it kind of does conversation cuts like that. But what's implied is that they are uh, getting the same story, even if it's <laughs> even if we're only hearing half of it for each person. So Sora wakes up, and his first question is, "Why did you attack me?" Basically, and Leon, who's holding the Keyblade, said, "Well, I need to get this away from you." So the Keyblade immediately vanishes and pops up in Sora's hand. Good mm-hmm. work, Leon. Yep, Sora can't. Get rid of the Keyblade. The Keyblade will always come back to him, it seems. But Although apparently it's applied while unconscious, at least won't immediately pop back. But apparently mm-hmm. the, the Heartless were sensing him more clearly when he was holding the blade. That's mm-hmm. what the implication is. Mm-hmm. is. That's why every zone in the game is filled with just constant spawning enemies, I guess. Mm-hmm. Because all the little Heartless duties want the Keyblade, because reasons. <laughs> yeah, but why do they want it? Uh, yeah. I, I understand it. Don't ask me to explain it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only going to let you get away with that a couple times. They likely are just going for it because they know that it's one of the few things that can actually, you know, drive them back in a meaningful way. Yes, well, at this I mean, point, the one and only Keyblade. Got it? The yep. one and only. Yep, there's no other Keyblades out there. Nope, not, no siree. <laughs> so I only think you're going to stick to that. Yep, so this is the point where we're told, hey, the Keyblade is special. You And you got to take care of it, and it'll take care of you. It's the one thing that can fight off the Heartless, though we regularly see other people hit Heartless with things, even your own party, whatever. Yep. But the Keyblade is the big thing that can take care of Heartless. It's the thing that can free hearts. It's like the Monado enchant. Don't yeah. question it. Yeah, it just works. It does what it does. Though, it just though, works. I feel like the Monado is pretty well justified in that game. I'm also you worry not going to get into you worry we jump, Do you worry that we jump too quickly between different games? No, it's fine. <laughs> All right. Like I said, so we got characters from, you know, we got characters from the two different Final Fantasies as well as some ducks. So this town is just a, a complete, as it's just completely the, the detritus of the universe is what we're being implied still. Yep. So here, I guess we got to talk about what the role of the Final Fantasy characters in Kingdom Hearts is because it's kind of funny. It, it's still, I wish I could get, I really wish I could find more proof of this. If someone knows it, please send it to me once we send this out. Basically, the idea is, this: the, the original treatment of Kingdom Hearts was a Disney-only idea. Like it was using RPG ideas, but it was very much just Disney characters. And when they started to expand it, they started using like Final Fantasy characters in placeholders for important NPCs, and then they decided to stick with it. When did, so when did Sora I, stop having a chainsaw and start having a keyblade? <laughs> yeah, it's, that's well past me. <laughs> I, I feel like the first time Disney saw the concept art would be my bet, but... Like no, and and no. And Nomura was just like that oh, was worth a shot. <laughs> I'll get a chance on the one of these games. Has he yet? 
no, I don't think he's managed to get a chance on one of these games yet. Mm. So basically, I said, so that's so Eris is telling Don Goofy the same thing, how the Keyblade is what's needed to save the worlds. And I don't think they mention it's what's specifically to do with the world in the fight Heartless yet. Right. Leon is he's an even sulkier mode than Squall originally is. And those who are in Wrath of Fate will realize that's quite a thing. I don't know. He's a bit more talkative and definitely yeah, but surly. He's, <laughs> But he's completely apathetic. Like he did what he did, but now he just doesn't want to do anything else. Like mm-hmm. it's up to you. I'm. Just, I can't. But John, isn't your theory that the Final Fantasy characters are here to make it easier for Square fans to play oh, yeah. the game without being embarrassed? Oh, easily. Um, this like this scene is definitely for the Final Fantasy person who's just like, what's all this Disney stuff going on right now? Oh, hey, it's Squall. <laughs> Squall is telling me everything's okay, and I'm still the hero. Cool. Oh, hey, Squall's kicking my ass. Well, this is after that. The presence of these characters is here to make you go, okay, this still feels like Final Fantasy. Oh, Aerith's here, so that that, that lives cheat code does work. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever happened with these Final Fantasy characters in this particular universe is clearly different from the story of their games, especially because they all know each other. It the still makes me also, So why are Titus, Waka, and Selfie on Destiny Islands, but the rest of these Final Fantasy characters are not from there? I mean, if <laughs> if, if Leon goes there, is he going to be deeply disturbed because of someone he knew is now half his age? I mean, I don't think this Leon knew that Selfie. Hmm. <laughs> I, I think that Selfie is just a person that lived on that island. Uh, so and, what's that doppelganger or something else this, this universe has? I mean, again, I don't... It's not the same Leon. As is, a, is the thing here, like unlike the Disney worlds where it is the Disney world where Sora is sort of an invader too, and Heartless are also invaders too. Like I think the Final Fantasy characters are kind of like a weird funhouse mirror version of themselves transposed into this Disneyfied universe. Well, I am jumping ahead, but for all the ones in Traverse Town plus a few others, we do know that they come from the same the same world. Yes, world. yes, they do. I, I yeah, mean, that's my- jumping ahead in spoilers, but I feel like we. No point dancing around that, because that at least yeah. is a big evidence for your point. Yep. My guess here is that they all have their own worlds and stars up in the sky and stuff like that. Yep. And more or less the history of their world that we know from the games got essentially cut off by essentially the Kingdom Hearts plot. Yep. Their worlds got lost to darkness before their games could happen, more or less. Or, you know, every every five years something new horrible happened and they passed off to the next guy to do <laughs> At this point, we can't say for sure in the story, uh, although I, it's once you get down to it, it's pretty simple to say, oh, hey, all these characters come from this one place. And that's fine. But <laughs> basically fighting with spoilers here is kind of the problem here because of an idea that between us, I'm, it's certainly not a new idea, but we like calling it narrative time. The narrative the way time it, flow. The basically way it works is in anything that's long running enough because there are because any story that's alive is always adding new elements. Any story that has a lot of flashbacks will inevitably include those new elements in the past. Even though at the start of your story, your characters had no idea what it was, and suddenly everyone knew about it once you go back to a new flashback. I like to go to the manga anime One Piece for that, for most of all. Yeah, One Piece is a great example of narrative time flow where Oda clearly did not have a lot of ideas that come up in the later part of the, the first half of the story. Uh, but he manages to give himself enough hooks early on in the story that he was able to tie it back and make it feel like an organic plan the whole time. Like, basically, the devil fruit that is the main gimmick of the story through most of it is implied at the very beginning to be a very rare thing no one's heard of. So he just recuts that, that A, it's being hidden from the rank-and-file populace, and B, they're in the region with the least number there. Yep. But then there's other abilities, trainable abilities like hockey, which then everyone in the past knows about, but no one was talking about up to that point. Yep. Sometimes this idea is that everyone's shocked to hear about. I mean, Pokemon is another good one because we people oh, that know Pokemon, Pokemon came from eggs. Time flow. Like, Pokemon, po- like, Pokemon come from eggs? Holy crap. <laughs> like, in the first Pokemon game, there's only 151 Pokemon in the entire world. But trust then there me. always was Sor- more. The sources do trust me. And, but, but remember, we discovered new places with people living in them. Is Pokemon like an accidentally like a uh, colonialism think, thing? I think Pokemon has finally just settled into, we are in a new region. This region has its own Pokemon the explanation of red and blue no longer holds. I Professor th- Oak was a crackpot. Yeah, Professor Oak was a crackpot. <laughs> but anyway, and but so how that matters for Kingdom Hearts is... Uh, there are Kingdom so many Hearts. concepts that are introduced slowly. Yep. Kingdom Hearts 1 as the intro story is is a lot simpler. There's so many things that don't come up. And, yep. and the funny thing is, much like in One Piece, 
you can see we'll, we'll see and we'll talk about it as things go on the writers start mining the ideas they go back to the past look at visual cues look at hints and they, and they well, put together Midrash for the put it together yep they will take a look at a thing that happened early in the story with a new idea that they just came up with and then say oh that means that this has to have happened and, oh it happened and, now and, I then they, it. and they extrapolate it out uh, so that it did happen and, and then everyone knew about it. Yep. Well, not always everyone knew about it, but it's information that did not exist at the time that this scene was written, but does exist in, long, in the grand scale of things that does impact things. And so, yeah, you do have to say, yeah, people might have always known about this. Any story that has any sort of linearity tricks will probably have some form of narrative time flow in mm-hmm. that things simply otherwise the story remains static. It's a dynamic methodology, but it can be really fun to start paying attention to, especially if it gets if it gets really like amusingly contradictory. Yep. Yeah, it's kind of like the I I guess part of the deal is, you know, an explanation for things like prequels and stuff like oh, that. Yeah. Where the where the narrative starts out not at the earliest point in time of the story, and you're actually intended to experience the earlier part of the story later than what it, where it starts. Oh yeah, um, yeah. The correct way to watch, to watch Star Wars, for example, is the first three movies and then the prequel movies. <laughs> well, you'll have people argue all sorts of versions with it, like Machete. But yeah, the, I, if mean, I, were I, to I think it's more this? satisfying to set, set in the Machete order. But no, that you. The prequels only make sense if you've seen Empire Strikes Back at minimum. So basically, if I were to define it, the idea behind narrative flow is that ideas don't propagate linear, like through temporal, but instead through the order of the story. Like the story's time takes the story time uh, in positioning takes precedence over timelines. And honestly, that's not a bad thing. A lot of people yeah. point at that and start screaming plot holes, but honestly, it's just how the story reads. You're the yeah. you're the reader. You're the player. You're the one learning things. So, I said, yeah. if you learn things at a different rate than they happen in the world, that's just natural. Yep. And also, it's really important in Kingdom Hearts because one of the traps that a lot of Kingdom Hearts fans fall into when trying to explain the story to people is they want to start back at, say, Birth by Sleep or Kingdom Hearts Key. And it's like, you can't do that. Those didn't exist when Kingdom Hearts 1 came out. You gotta start at Kingdom Hearts 1. You gotta start with with a very good boy finding a key on an island and hanging out with Donald and Goofy. That's where Kingdom Hearts begins. I, I generally agree. It's, it's not the same experience if you try to take it out well, of that and, order. And I mean, if you try and explain uh, Kingdom Hearts Key or Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep to someone who has not experienced Kingdom Hearts 1, they will look at you like you're a crazy person. If you try to explain so, explain Kingdom Hearts Key to someone who has played Kingdom Hearts 1, they will look at you like a crazy person. <laughs> the main point is Key's too hard to deal with. Fortunately, the only bit of Key that we're going to deal with on our series is the part that's included in the collection, which is, a, which, is, which is the back cover movie, which is thankfully only two and a half hours of Key, and that's all I care about Key to know. <laughs> so you'd say it's a skeleton of Key? Yeah. <laughs> I actually like the Kingdom Hearts Key back cover film. It, it, it back wasn't... cover is pretty neat. Back cover is a lot more interesting than recoded. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah we're recoded is John's bugaboo of the Kingdom Hearts series. We will Where's we will talk. We will spend a episode on coded, and that's it. <laughs> well, before this episode's over, we're going to have reviewed all the series. <laughs> but anyway, so once you've. Uh, gone through all these cutscenes and all this information about what's going on and why you ha- what you have to do is given to you. Basically just like telling Sora, hey, this is the quest you need to go on and in town there's some friends that you need to meet. You uh, run outside and crash right into them. Yep. And also into your first boss fight that isn't a dark side. <laughs> dark sides are to shadow what this guard armor is to the soldier. Right. Well, basically, yeah, basically here's the order a giant of- soldier. Absolutely, mm-hmm. but we, we, we kind of glossed over the events. But so here's what happens: you run outside. I don't remember if somebody had someone running, but you crash right into Goofy and Donald, and of course yep. Donald ends up on the bottom. Yep, and Always. he's lands in a way that that the Keyblade in Sora's hand is right in front of his face. So uh, Donald he. sees that he reacts, and you see those wheels start to turn. Donald Duck is the clever bastard of this group. Donald's only concern is find the key to find the king. <laughs> That's all he cares about. <laughs> And we're going to see that as we continue on. Mm-hmm. So what we have is we the, the, we the boss, as you said, is guard armor. Guard armor is basically uh, depends how you look at it. Five or six pieces. I do you consider the head and chest separate. They move separate, but that's one unit. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, no, it's it's two units, isn't it? They the head, have their own health bar. 
Okay. I'm pretty sure the head and the torso are one health. Okay, if they sure share a health, if they share a health bar, then they're one health bar. They're, yeah. they're one. But basically, said the armor piece is clear in the ground. That this this big round uh, helmet head lands in the, the chest, pops open, and shows dark eyes, and the and the, everything starts hovering, coming at you. Yep. The guard armor is. I love the design of guard armor, both from a like visual standpoint and from a game design standpoint. It's a very cool boss. Because he moves like a humanoid, but he's also completely unrestricted by it. Like he, his arms stay about the same place, but then suddenly they'll start spinning like just a yeah. buzz saw around the body. So like one piece in not me do. just has to shout "Bada bada pots!" Yes, yes, yes. He's just like Buggy from One Piece, where not like everything his, is just it, One Piece, guys. Yeah, we should probably read other manga. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do, but I don't want to start confusing everyone. Yeah, if we ever get too caught up digging into a single place for a reference point, we're just gonna have to pick something else as a reference point. <laughs> No, that's fine. I actually thought uh, it was amusing to say that. Yep. He's a good first boss for it, introducing you to fighting with the full party. So you basically just get a chance to see them run around, try to do stuff. But for the most Use part, the, potions. Yeah, the job, the job of actually taking down the boss is yours. Donald and Goofy are there to support you. Yeah, in most modes, Donald will usually throw a cure your way when you're low on uh, health and he has the MP. Uh, I, I don't think he has cure yet, though. useful for doing that. I don't think Don- Donald has access to all the spells that you have access to, correct? Oh, gotcha. So he doesn't use that here. Though he does have fire here, doesn't he? I believe so. Basically, he just he's the one after the fight spoilers. Donald gives you fire. So, yep. unfortunately, in proud mode, Donald just hits the floor completely because he doesn't have the HP to survive this fight. <laughs> well, you know, he's your floor tank. He makes sure yeah. the floor goes nowhere. Yeah, exactly. Don- that but is Donald's one- purpose. Um, his wow, his purpose, huh? Yeah, yeah that this, that wily floor might get away from you otherwise. Yep, exactly. <laughs> it's unfortunate, but I think I don't know if their AI is bugged or just too aggressive. You can't give them items; they use them up at the first shot, no matter yep. how you program it. Even if you tell them don't use items, they will use that item. <laughs> <laughs> don't give right. Donald a mega elixir, is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. I always found Goofy was more aggressive with it, but yeah, uh, Donald seems to use his magic first. Mm-hmm. Donald will burn through all his MP real quick. Goofy will. Do, Goofy's a bit better about things, though. He will just burn through items, and he can burn through items because he has six item slots. Who the heck gave and, him that permission to carry that many items? The guy who didn't give him magic. <laughs> yeah, I mean he has. He's big. Uh, He's got those, space. <laughs> all those hip bags and stuff like that on his on his uh, <laughs> yeah. model, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. It is worth mentioning. Dal and Goofy have changed their outfits. Like, oh yeah, they were like space. They are now in their kind civvies. of their civvies. It's for lack of a better term, it's kind of like they're wearing Final Fantasy versions of their own outfits. Yep. Like Donald's wearing his hat and vest, only it's like more of a baggy wizard hat, and the yep. vest is a lot more embroidered. And Goofy's also wearing. He's not just like his overall outfits, and they're in more less pastel, bright colors. It's really How hard many to belts describe. Do they have. <laughs> mm. It's really hard to describe as different from their outfits. You kind of have to know their original outfits and then get a good picture of their second outfit. I mean, I think Goofy has just one belt. Donald does not appear to have belts. <laughs> so he, is it Goofy just kind of have like a? No, his goggles? hat has a zipper. Yeah, <laughs> Goofy has goggles yeah. on his hat. He never pulls down, and the hat yeah. is kind of in the same shape as the old helmet, only it's puffier. And Donald he's, he's, has the impossible beret that has a spiral, uh, spiral zipper. Yep, <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> and it's not like it's fitting over his head either. No. So like basically, I would describe it as slightly more complex, more fantasy versions of their old traditional cartoon outfits. Mm-hmm. So, base, so if you fight the guard armor, you can knock down parts and hit them down on the ground, which you're probably going to do because if you're even if you're swinging wildly, you're going to be knocking back through wide, slow attacks. And it does give you some practice with crowd control because you can get swarmed by the pieces if you're not careful. Mm-hmm. Okay, so once if you the, don't like Buggy the Clown, how about Evil Raymond? How's that? <laughs> I don't even know normal Raymond, but okay. <laughs> I mean, I get what Raymond is, even if I've ever played it. <laughs> yeah. But so he's a it's I think guard armor is a really cool boss fight. He's actually pretty tough on proud mode. I think I might have died a few times my first time playing proud mode. And a little bit of foreshadowing. I appreciate that he doesn't really run away from the fight or spend a lot of time to fight unable to be hit or have limited hit zones. Yeah. (laughs) After the fight, as you said, Donald teaches you fire. And that get, and so I would like to talk a bit about Kingdom Hearts' MP system as the last thing we go into for this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, well, I guess there's a few other things. The MP system in Kingdom Hearts 1 is bad. <laughs> Kingdom Hearts 1 wants you to use spells, but, and it also wants you to be physically attacking. 
Now, the menu system's not bad. You basically, you can run the menu system with one set of directionals while you're still moving around doing things with others. So that's pretty elegant, roughly I mean, it's also, and like the quick command is also really elegant. And the spells that you're really going to be wanting to use, uh, you're going to put in your quick commands and they're pretty quick and easy to access. You just hold down, what is it, R1 and or R2 or something. One of those buttons. One of the shoulder buttons. One of the shoulder buttons to bring up your quick command menu and just uh, cast your spell real quick. That part of the system is good. What's not good is how MP regenerates. MP regenerates in this game either by hitting an enemy or by picking up a little bubble. Or being hit by an enemy to some degree. Yeah, I think you have to have some skills to really get some benefit out of that. But like, and some skill setups will let you just like completely regenerate your MP if you get a big nasty hit and then you can just cure and keep on fighting. In later games, they modify this system to make it so that... I, I will have plenty to say about the MP system in Kingdom Hearts 2 and 3 later because I freaking love that MP system. But um, in Kingdom Hearts 1, you have like a, a, a number of single MP points, like yeah. between like, I think it starts like, like 3 and go up to like 11. It starts at 2 if you didn't pick the staff, and it starts at 3 if you did. Fair enough. I don't know how high it is. They're kind of arranged like incomplete pie wedges around the HP gauge, big blue yep. blocks. Yep. And the way they regenerate is with whatever you're doing, there's this, this pink meter that crawls up the blue box. Now, it has to get all the way into the black space where wedges pass the, the last block, at which point, once it reaches that, it'll fill in the new block and then start over. So that can make things go very slowly. Mm-hmm. It feels like it takes a long time for MP to come back, it, which is the problem with it. Like, you usually get one or two pretty fast, but after that, it can be brutal. And if you're not really in a place, like if you're in a prolonged single enemy fight, that can be the worst time for it. And also, a lot of the best skills also take MP, like Strike Raid, Ragnarok, all that. They take a big chunk of MP. If the point is it wants you to use those abilities well, it's difficult when it's like, but it takes a long time to get back to them anyway. And the reason, the real reason why you want to use an attack like Strike Raid is it makes you invincible. <laughs> so, uh, while you're casting it anyway. Yeah. The MP that you spend on it is essentially translates to X number of seconds of not taking damage. Yeah, it's unfortunate, though, that the reason that this system doesn't feel very good is because when you end up with low health and no MP, you don't have any real choice on how to get it back, regenerate it, unless you just go in there and try to block all the moves and land yeah, some hits. Exactly. And the and the viciously frugal item system, where you can only equip a few items, you can't replenish a mid fight. Can only exacerbates that. Yep, you definitely don't want to give items to Donald or Goofy because they'll use them <laughs> immediately. Yeah, so they, they will. They will not use them. They will not use them at the opportune moment. They will use them at whatever moment seems most convenient to them. <laughs> Once the guard armor's down, you see it's you see like a heart fly out of it and it sort of vanish in the sky. Basically, the first time we're going to see that, mm-hmm. but not the last time. And then Leon shows up and just points out, well, you, you kind of got to get going doing stuff. I'm going to stay here and not do stuff. Yep. Yeah, it seems that that heartless consume other things' hearts, and you're beating the other hearts out of them, yep. and or purifying well, their corrupted hearts. I mean, hearts. if we want to get into the technical definition of a heartless, well ahead of time, a heartless is a heart that has gone dark, <laughs> which is yep. why it has no heart, of course. No, that's a nobody. Is a, a no heart. <laughs> <laughs> so, so am I? So are are you Abbott and I'm Costello? A, heart, a heartless is a heart without a body. A nobody is a body without a heart. Yep. <laughs> I don't know. Third base. <laughs> it's all very poorly named, isn't it? Yep. You know, I actually wonder what are the Japanese uh, names for these? Are they are they the katakana words? Yes, uh, they are know, the katakana nobody words. Nobody heartless. Yep, they are. They literally say it out loud. Heartless. Heartless. So, or something like that. Uh, let me go look at. We've all sure, sounded horrible imitating Hatoresu. Japanese accents. It would be. It would be su. Yeah, it's hatoresu. Hatoresu. I think we need to move on from trying to imitate Japanese. I was just curious about that. (laughs) But yeah, no, they do not have a Japanese name. It is a loan word type situation because Japan loves loan words and they love making up English. Oh, they do, yes. So Leon tells you, you gotta go out, do things. Donald and Goofy offer to give you a ride to go find your friends. And Sora asks, so you definitely find fans? And Donald says, of course. Goofy's like, wait, we can? And Donald says, shut up, idiots. (laughs) Yep, yeah, that's right. I mean, I don't think I'm overselling this. Donald is openly openly says to Goofy, all he needs is that the heart needs the key needs to come with them. He doesn't really know what else he can do. Am I overselling that? <laughs> well, he also forces Sora to make a big Goofy smile to get on the ship because no sad faces, no sad faces, and that's Donald why Tidus was in of, the game. 
Yeah, Donald is kind of, this is part of his character, though, and it is in, in keeping with his Disney character, and it doesn't make him a bad character in Kingdom Hearts either, but he doesn't really care about you until he gets to know you. Yeah, you know he's what very I mean? headstrong. He's Donald is first for the duty. <laughs> yes. My loyalty when, is to when the he, crown. But yeah, when, when, when Donald is kind of first getting to know you, he doesn't care about you very much. But when, when you do get to know him, he becomes intensely loyal to you. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what his deal is. He's intensely loyal to King Mickey. That's, that's mm-hmm. the person he's trying to yeah. help out with this whole duty. Yep. But he's not above lying to children. So nope. we want to keep that in mind for now. Yep. <laughs> but I said, Donald tells Sora, you know, we got to be cheerful. We got to be friendly. It's a little odd considering his cynicism just now. But Sora responds to making one of the most forced smiles you'll ever see outside of F10's laughter. Ha, 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 ha. So ha, I just want to like, ha, ha, ha. I, I want to come in and say that that scene is very good. Titus is laughing awkwardly because he's supposed to be laughing awkwardly. I mean, people, yeah, make, yeah, people make some fun of the scene, but that's that scene is what it should be. <laughs> Yeah, it's I a mean, meme, but the thing is, is that people don't realize that it's actually supposed to be that bad. Well, like, people are not okay with stuff that feels cringy, even when it's, like, actually intended. <laughs> I mean, yeah. what, we have, what we have in that scene is T is trying to cheer up someone who's in sorrow. He's saying, well, we can fake laughter. Watch me be really good at it. And she actually does, you know, she goes along with it. But at the yeah. end, she's actually laughing normally because it was yeah. silly. Yeah, it, it works really well. It's a good scene. The sore one, on the other hand, is just, well, we drew the face and a smile. Let's see if we make it look good. Kingdom Hearts does this weird thing where sometimes it doesn't. It uh, just has a texture animated on a flat polygon for a face. And sometimes it fully animates the face, complete with a facial rigging. And it switches to a facial rigging for the scene for Sora to, to force a giant smile that is kind of terrifying. <laughs> but since they draw his teeth they very tight. Oh, okay, they fix it kind of, but not... Completely, like I'm thinking specifically of Ventus and uh, Birth by Sleep. Uh, Ventus's face is textured on terrifies me, but <laughs> that's also getting well ahead of us. <laughs> Who's Ventus? Who's that? I, I don't know yet. yet. <laughs> all, you, all you need to know about Ventus is that he exists. Yep. We can't talk about that yet. So Leon uh, makes a big deal of how he's not going to help. Yeah. Right? He can't come along. He's got stuff to do here. It's oh, it's really kind of funny. They made this version of Squall that's definitely very, I don't want to say he's despondent, but it doesn't really give you a reason why, so what you might be able to infer. He doesn't have a motivation in the story. He is just a guy, if you will. Yeah, which is why I, I like the theory, more or less, that essentially, you know, his game was interrupted by the darkness consuming his world. His game didn't happen. So well, now he's more or less the toxic version of himself that might have been happened if there was no Final Fantasy VIII. The problem with that the problem with that is it doesn't work. <laughs> I mean, you do know Based on everything that we know about this particular Leon, that doesn't work. <laughs> I, I guess it doesn't completely work because of the whole thing with uh, an area that we, we haven't gotten to yet. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't I don't know. I it, I, I, I think a, it feels right, but I'm not I'm not sure because do we know that all those characters are, are from there? I'm not sure. Originally, anyway. From the way the story plays out, yes, they are all from that world. Okay. Well, regardless. <laughs> I could be wrong. I could be proven wrong over the course of this playthrough. We'll keep that in the back of our mind. <laughs> and keeping things in the back of mind, and I'm talking about making sure we know what type of game it is, as they leave, suddenly we pan out to a completely different scene with a bunch of quote-unquote shadowy figures. Yep. <laughs> this is I the mean, Disney Villain Council, right? Yep. Oh, yeah. It's a great group, especially since they show, their, they show their silhouettes, you hear their voices, and if you know Disney at all, you know who they are. If you have so if it is 2002 and you have paid attention to Disney at all in the last decade, you know who every single one of these people is. Honestly, Mm -hmm. I think Disney works just as much on the strength of its villains as it does on its heroes. I I mean, mean, Disney's villain songs are some of the best. And and also Disney villains are kind of their way to get get around a lot of queer coding restrictions. And so, yeah, yeah, there's a discussion. a lot of artists working on Disney really put a lot of effort into the villains. For I really love 
uh, Maleficent because Maleficent is one of those examples where I think she as the villain holds up the entire story. The, oh, yeah. the protagonist of the story is barely even a thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's say this. I Of the live action movies, I actually like Maleficent. I haven't seen any of those other than the terrible Beauty and the Beast. Well, remake, I will say, other than Beauty and the Beast, rather than those ones, Maleficent, well, it does hit the well, beats of the story. It explicitly makes a different story. They kind of yeah. wanted to make Wicked. It's quite clear. Yep. Um, and Maleficent is basically the, the the most competent of the Disney villains here. She takes oh, yeah. control really quickly. She, she's, she's in you, charge. You know she's in charge right from the beginning. And, like, mm-hmm. she looks like she's in charge, first of all. Like, their character designs are not changed in the slightest, and she still looks like she's in charge. <laughs> I mean, let's go through them because this isn't spoilers. You got Maleficent. Yeah. You got Hades, God of the Underworld from Hercules. You got Captain Hook. You got Ursula the Sea Witch. You got Jafar, and you got Oogie Boogie. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I mean, I, it's not I really a fit, is it? I didn't think that Nightmare Before Christmas was a was a Disney movie. What was that? Where'd that come from? Oh crap! Is Nightmare Before <laughs> Christmas in this? Sweet, my Final Fantasy cred is still intact. <laughs> So is that like your your reaction back then when you first played it? Oh yes, that was. I will tell you straight up. Like, I was not yet realizing that Disney was cool again when Kingdom Hearts first came out. So I was there for all the Final Fantasy stuff, and also because I heard Nightmare Before Christmas was in it. Now here's the yeah. trick. It wasn't directly a Disney movie, but Nightmare Before Christmas was distributed by Buena Vista, which has always been a Disney imprint. Mm -hmm. So they always had kind of their hooks in it slightly. Yeah. So honestly, I would say that. I think all of us experienced this because we're all similar age, right? So, you, you know, we all experienced the whole thing where we all thought we were too cool for Disney as teenagers, right? Uh, and then I was, this game sure. came. Yeah. Well, and then I was this there game even earlier. Come, yeah. But, like, I well, was a Nickelodeon kid and I, and I got super tribal about it. And then I, yeah, yeah, and, and a lot of us just thought just it was like too, too cringe, right? I just like too many cartoons. Like when my brother was, the, I mean, my bro- older brother was there to help me. Uh, he was already watching Disney that, and I loved all the, the you know the Saturday morning stuff. So I never got too tribal. I liked yeah. a lot of different things. So I did go through cycles. Yep. I don't think I've used the, I've ever used the word cringe in the past. That might be a description of how you might feel about it now. But <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, it's it's, it's a word that has come about recently and pu- become popular well, recently. I mean, it, I also don't like it because it is a word to describe people being unwilling to engage with sincerity. <laughs> That's really yeah, what I, I agree. The, I mean, I, yeah. I think the, the word is valid. I mean, there's like I, I guess I'm going off into uh, a, a side discussion now. No, it's fine. But when I. You know, there's there's cartoons out there, and I remember, you know, even some episodes of cartoons I liked where the word cringe really describes how I interacted with those cartoons because I was em- too embarrassed for the main character. Like, anything where where I feel a kid is getting too publicly humiliated for something that maybe I was similarly publicly humiliated when I okay. was a kid or, you yeah, know, I could see I how that happened— I just it a makes car- me physically uncomfortable to watch those particular episodes or those particular so shows. So a cartoon that I super related to back in the day that kind of falls into that category was Doug. And <laughs> yeah, Doug had a few of those moments for sure. Like, and but like I loved Doug because it was super relatable to me. So like I think I never had that like cringe impulse, I guess. For me, cringe was always a little bit closer to being embarrassed by things. And yep. it wasn't so much being embarrassed by liking something, but being embarrassed by how certain things in the story go. I kind of have a complex for things like, going back to old trope names, it was the liar revealed. I hate that. It makes me wince. It makes me not want to watch something. For some reason, I can't yeah, explain it. Yeah, like, I, I totally agree. All it's the not lies that I'm embarrassed. Me. It's not that I'm embarrassed to watch something. It's more that I'm embarrassed for the characters yeah, and I'm it makes sad. me feel really icky. Mm-hmm. There's a, I definitely am feeling that. Well, I mean, I feel like that's a good It's a reaction. different animal than it's, what people talk about as cringe nowadays. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, nowadays they just use it to try and make fun of people online. <laughs> I never had a problem with making a uh, definition of my own. never worried too much about mm-hmm. keeping up with things. I'm bad at it anyways. Fair. Yeah. But, but, but you, you are correct in that I think – it's getting back to the original point that all of us, I think, were at the age where we where it was a little bit cooler to not like Disney. Yep. And we were in the process of learning to embrace the cringe and like Disney again. And this mm-hmm. this game is very much part of that. Yeah. Well, and fortunately, it gave us uh, stuff that was cool to like, like Nightmare Before Christmas to ease us back into things. 
So, so the, basically the cover of the villains briefly, you got Hades and Jafar are commenting about how they're shocked that Sora beat, beat the Heartless, though Jafar notes that, well, this Keyblade's giving him power. Ursula suggests that we turn him into Heartless, so that, you know, that's the easy answer, so a villain won't do that. While Oogie Boogie and Captain Cook start throwing insults at HR, and then, just to prove she's in charge, Melissa tells them all to shut up, and we're going to wait and see what happens, because this is interesting. Mm-hmm. This is the best show we got on right now, I don't need you guys talking over it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we never see no them together in. again. <laughs> I don't feel bad spoiling that. It's just very funny. We get to see them all talking together, and we never see more than two of them together at the same time again. Correct. Well, this- the Disney villains definitely have an ego problem. I think I feel- they don't really want to work with anybody. They just want their own agenda, which is very like- much limited to their own world usually. I feel like it might have been sort of like a result of the original Kingdom Hearts idea of being all Disney. So, like... This scene was written in that context of, oh, all these vill- we have a evil Avengers type setup with all these villains working together. And then eventually over time, like as the story kept getting rewritten, the that the role of that team lessened and lessened. But at least it's clear enough we know who's in charge. I mean, that's yeah. without question. Oh yeah, Maleficent is Malef- the big Maleficent man. is the one Disney villain who has ambitions beyond her home world. I yep. think. and and the one who got to say that she was she was working with hell in her movie. So, and if you could turn into a dragon, that means in Final Fantasy, you're probably kind of in charge. Yeah, probably. Well, she, I she's, mean, she has all the makings of a Final Fantasy final boss. She has a second form that's but that's cool and scary. <laughs> she's got also huge Maleficent- and hair at ornaments. <laughs> yeah. She's a and also, villain. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And also Maleficent has the whole thing where, you know, in old in old Disney stuff, not just in in Sleeping Beauty or anything like that. But Ma- Maleficent is literally associated with Satan because she's a dragon. Hmm. You know, it's, it's that's not a, a thing that is is unknown in old Disney. I mean, that was my snark. Her line really near the end is, now you face me, Prince, and all the powers of hell. No ah. one else got to say that. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> that's barely a minute before she turns into a dragon. All right. Then. Yeah, she's so very I- much the Satanistic kind of witch. Especially since she's an incredibly petty dark fairy. You piss her off and she's going to curse your baby just because you, you thought she'd be a bring down at your party. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it's a little rude, but that's still a pretty hell, that's a hell of a response. Yep. I didn't notice the scene. Apparently, they want they want to give you a hit towards the Dalmatians. If you talk to Final Fantasy Kids enough time, Air, Leon's talking about the Dalmatians, and Yuffie and Air are talking about how Leon is so worried about those puppies. He <laughs> oh man! Oh man! I mean, I that, mean, you realize a- Yuffie says Squall. I mean, Leon. He's really cute sometimes, and he's yeah. just he's just saying you could help them, and he won't he won't respond to the two girls mocking him on it. That's just yeah. wonderful. I mean, so that is Squall to a T, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. He would he would definitely go dot 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 whatever. Yeah, but he also he also would definitely be like, but puppies though. I, I do. He, just, he like, just wouldn't say that out loud. <laughs> Squall, I really liked that he was a character of interiority. Like he had an oh, interior yeah. monologue. I do think of him actually better. I would like to see another shot at that in a really major oh, yeah. RPG style. Well, especially like uh, I saw some translation stuff about how Squall's original interior monologue was a lot more varied. And they pretty much just condense a lot of stuff down to just whatever, whatever, which is <laughs> depressing. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of, speaking of this, before we we go, uh, are with the gummy ship. How exactly do Donald and Goofy convince Sora to start going out to these worlds and stealing keyholes? Why do they they know to do that again? Well, no one knows about the keyholes yet. Basically, oh, okay. he says he's looking for his friends. Donald Goofy says, sure, let's go look for your friends. I bet we can find our king, too. Yep. And that's kind of where – that is kind of where uh, Goofy questions Donald. Donald says, shut up. We just need him to come with us. Yep. Gotcha. Like, they don't know yet what their goal is, is which actually I think, is – I think. I mean, isn't that good JRPG uh, story writing? You don't know yeah. what your quest is yet. <laughs> you know you, you know the old trope. You start out looking for a pig that ran away from the next door. You end up killing God. That's how yep. it goes. Yep, exactly. That's how – that's sometimes And you best. don't – Sometimes you don't have you the dragon quest quote, you know trope in this case, right? So the dragon trust trope is that you get charged by the king to go save the world or save the princess or whatever. And well, it ends up being a much bigger deal than you think. Well, that's what Donald and Goofy are on. Yeah. Yeah. The king Don't, gave them an order. They're trying to follow it. They also want to find their king. Yep. Yeah. I think that's everything from this episode. I mean, at this point, I want to say dodge. You get dodge roll from the guard armor. Dodge roll is great. I spent the I spent the next five minutes dodge rolling around Traverse Town because I think it's slightly faster, anyways. Just doing yeah. somersaults across the ground. <laughs> yeah, dodge roll is great. 
I mean, every roll. game that's any game has a abusable dodge roll that you use for traveling, right? Yep. I mean, I definitely, I was humming to myself, rolling, rolling, you know. <laughs> well, I was more just thinking of, uh, you know, oh, Zelda 64. Huh, yeah, yeah, ha. All right. <laughs> I don't even want to explain why I'm thinking of Elephant Seals involving that song. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, see next y'all time, next time. We're, we're going time. to find ourselves going into some Disney fan fiction. Yay! Self-insert. Uh, see you next time. And remember, a good story is best shared with friends. Thank you for listening to Backlog Dialogues. If you're enjoying our deep dives and discussions, be sure to leave a five-star review on the podcatcher of your choice. If you're really enjoying our deep dives and discussions, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash backlogdialogues. If you'd like to hear more episodes, you can find our archives at backlogdialogues.com. Special thanks to Eli for our theme song. Kingdom Hearts and all associated trademarks are the property of Disney and Square Enix. Please support the official release.